So we are back in the suite. I'm joined by my co-host this week. We have Uriel. What's going on? What's up? And we got Indy. What's up? Hello. Not much is up, really, but I'm good. Well, that's that's good to hear. Yeah. Glad, uh, glad you guys can join us. Glad to be back here in the uh, exclusive private suite studios to record another lovely episode of our show here. Uh, let's uh, let's get going like we normally do. Um, what are we listening to this week? I've been listening to a lot of city pop, mostly like some entry level, quote unquote, normie stuff like uh, Tatsura. Ta- fuck, I just forgot his name. And I just listened to him a second ago. <laughs> Such a normie. You just you can't even remember the name. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Filthy I'm like casual. Memento, you know? How about you, Andy? <laughs> uh, for Vaporwave, I've been into some lo-fi hip hop by this guy. His name's Lofty. I just discovered him. He's really great. Uh, cool. Just he has a really distinguished sound in the low high lo fi hip hop realm. He has these weird winding and twisting sounds, but it's really it's still melodic and all that. So yeah, it's really interesting. Lofty that was his good. name. Cool. Cool. And uh, I think I remembered who I'm talking about. Tatsuro Yamashita. You know, Maria Takeuchi's uh, husband? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've been listening to uh, Corrupted Data Corp. Uh, just put out a new album called Artificial OS. Um, and honestly, I think Corrupted Data Corp is like low-key becoming like one of like the top vaporwave artists. Like just putting out some like quality, quality, like classic stuff. Um, and also the physicals that he tends to do are just like super cool. They like include like these like extra little like feelies as we discussed in one of our previous episodes. Um, like the the beefest one that he did came with uh, like a pin um, and this new artificial OS one came with like an enamel pin of like an old school like um, like pixelated mouse. Um, kind of like you would imagine from like the early days of, of computing and whatnot. Um, so it's really, really cool stuff it's got going on yeah i grabbed the tape did you oh yeah yeah i i was debating it and i i missed out on it. i think like every single tape that he's put out i've, I've like debated i'm like ah, no, i'll wait and and i end up missing out on it like he put out the first one um back when he was uh, went by dead disc drive i think pad chennington plugged the um the album uh, i forget what it was uh i forget what his album was actually called uh, declassified space exploration um, and there's only like 25 of them and I was debating of grabbing it because it was still available and I just didn't. And now I'm kind of kicking myself because that was another like really cool, cool album. But yeah, definitely uh, Corrupted Data Corp killing it in the uh, the vaporwave scene lately. For sure. Yeah. Oh, man. So should we uh, should we just get into it? Heck yes. All right. So we're going to we're going to start with uh, a voicemail that we have here. Um, so let's go ahead and give that a listen. Hey guys, this is Magdalene Rose from over at YouTube. Uh, thanks for the podcast because I listen to it at work. Pretty entertaining. Um, I'm wondering what you all think about this theory from this guy from the 80s named John Baudrillard. He's not from the 80s. He's still alive. But like he wrote a thing in the 80s about simulation and simulacra. Uh, as it pertains to vaporwave, is vaporwave simulacra in your opinion? Is it a copy without an original? Cool. That's me. Talk to you guys later. See you later. Bye. Uh, so that was Magdalene Rose uh, from YouTube. Uh, thank you uh, so much for, for calling in there. Uh, so she's talking about uh, the author Jean Baudrillard, if, if you couldn't understand it in the voicemail there, um, who wrote a piece uh, called Simulacras and Simulation back in the 80s. And basically uh, wanted to know if Vaporwave is you know, would be considered like a simulacra or a simulation. So what do you guys think about that? Uh, I would say 
absolutely and maybe not intentional but i think um and someone else said this quite well on one of the podcast interview episodes that uh when people look for vaporwave or when they find vaporwave they're looking for something what they don't know necessarily what it is and then when they find vaporwave vaporwave has it so mm, for for yeah. me it's kind of like you know connected to simulacra in that way like you don't know what it is so there's no original idea you're just it just kind of um manifests itself yeah so for anyone listening who who may not be familiar with the concept the uh the official like Wikipedia, uh, so 100% true, you know, definitely accurate definition of simulacra. Um, simulacra are copies of copies that depict things that either had no original or that no longer have an original. Simulation is the imitation of the operation of a real world process or system over time. So, you know, vaporwave pulls from, you know, this nostalgia or this feeling or these components of music back from you know, the nineties, eighties, or just, you know, very various places. Um, and then recreates them in a different way that kind of builds more nostalgia or a different type of nostalgia. Um, and they're manipulated in a way where it's not necessarily exactly the same, but you can kind of you know get the idea of it. So it, it's, it's creating this, this feeling of a state of being in a place that doesn't necessarily exist or never existed or that you've never existed in. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like Adam Neely, I've said this before, said it best, where it's a score to a movie that doesn't exist. And it takes you there in the same sense that reading about a place takes you there, only it goes a bit further. Whereas if you just read about some place, you get a lot of concrete information without like experience, it's secondhand. But with Vaporwave, it's secondhand in the sense you're experiencing sound and sometimes visuals of places that don't directly describe things. I think it's more of an indirect version of, say, a travelogue or a uh, sociology textbook, if you will. Yeah, I mean, you know, back on uh, a much earlier episode of the show when Max Headroom was on talking about his trip to Japan and, um, you know, he did the article back there um, for the, the physical, for the magazine, you know, it, it kind of, he was talking about like the magazine kind of transported him to this place and, and this, this state of mind of, um, you know, it, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It, it, it takes you to a place that like it, it's like an ideal place or an ideal vision of some kind of place that exists in your head. Another a funny idea I just had was, you know how we all use computers all the time. That's mm -hmm. how we, made vaporwave technically with computers and yep. mm -hmm. you know we use windows operating system and we actually have little windows for all of our things right and yes. and, and combine that with the idea that vaporwave was born on the internet which mm -hmm. doesn't really reside anywhere you could think about it in a way like that it's all like one giant collected thing but then it's actually it's actually there's no physical manifestation of vaporwave other than yeah. you know, people actually making physicals of it but um the whole like genre in of itself there's no there's no physical concrete way of of making it or like set rules of what makes it what it is mm -hmm. you could say it's not reality almost mm -hmm. i wouldn't yeah. go that far i mean like <laughs> there is like reality in it like we have to use knowledge we have to inspire like our minds from somewhere one thing that caught me on guard and i know what i said was uh <laughs> like something that no longer exists such as the 80s or obsolete companies yeah. or just general modes of culture that aren't really staples of life anymore like when i listen to vaporwave i get transported back to a time i didn't live in and couldn't have lived in and I begin to understand things from another perspective. I understand somebody a little bit more or understand something that they know, even if they don't particularly agree with it or care about it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's absolutely true. Yeah. 
Um, one other point I wanted to, to make about this, um, at least with the, the simulacra aspect, um, Indy, in your recent interview that you had with uh, Josh Starkey, um, talking about Lost Angles and uh, all the work that he's doing, he specifically referenced uh, surfing in, uh, in his interview and, and what they're doing. And the fact that they're now creating their own music and then going and sampling it to kind of create you know, this vapor feeling and this, 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 um, this basically original vapor wave, um, the whole act of like creating like an original piece to then go and sample it and make something else to me almost fits within like the simulacra, um, world or that kind of definition because they're, they're, it's like, it's, it's made for the sample. So there's nothing original left of it. If that makes sense, even though it is original, yeah, no, that, it's I, kind of like a like a, a crazy. It kind of like warps your mind a little bit to think about it in that way. But um, yeah, like they're they're making something original, so it's it can no longer be original. So they can sample it and make a new original thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well yeah, said. I, uh, yeah, it's kind of weird in a way, because like a lot of the point of sampling is like trim the quote unquote fat from a song, and sort of make the remains around what you found appealing, what you focused on into something else that originally came from something. Now, uh, Buffy speak aside, that's what um, surfing is doing, but with themselves. And I find that extremely weird. Like, it's as if you remade the movie May, a horror movie, mind you. And instead of cutting off different parts from different people to make this homunculus perfect person, you do it with clones of yourself. I've never seen that movie, but I, I think I kind of get what you're saying. It's uh, it's not that scary, honestly, but it's pretty good. Okay, maybe we'll have to check it out, kind of uh, see exactly what you're saying there. Hmm. Oh, you yeah. guys have uh, anything else in this? Yeah, I just like the post this that I'm not a philosopher. I do not know a lot of philosophy. I just asked some friends of mine who are, and I uh, made some shit up on the spot in one instance. I'll let you decide which. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't think any of us are uh, authorities on any of this. We're just um, some people that we like to listen to ourselves talk about it. So um, not trying to be the uh, be all end all about it. So cool. All right. Um, what do we got next today? All right. So let's talk about City Pop. What about it, City Pop? Well, it's inspired a lot of Vaporwave in not just visual form, but like and a lot of modes of production. I remember like t- thinking about the 80s that like a lot of um, organic instruments sort of fell off and became all this weird over-the-top stuff. But like city- guitars and electric drums and stuff. Hell yes. Mind Hell you, yeah. I'm take this with a grain of salt. I'm not from the 80s. I was never alive in there. I'm just going by what music was like, at least popular music. <laughs> And a lot of the popular trends seem to be about making a statement, you are you. But in City Pop, you're just one of them. You're like part of the breeze, the where the wind blows. And while there are some musical traits of it that stick out as like particularly just continuations of Yacht Rock or jazz, most of it sounds really 80s somehow, even though it's completely divorced from like a lot of the trends due to A, being in Japan, and B sounding a lot more like 70s music with just 80s technology than anything you know 80s ish you know what i mean when i say the word 80s everyone knows what the hell i'm talking about because it's it's kind of uh the most dated decade of the universe (laughs) it's been like dated since it actually like started (laughs) yeah pretty much i mean from the get-go once you put on that spray tin here you instantly regretted. Hell, you regretted buying the bottle. You regretted looking at that bottle. I don't want to say like now, like you don't regret it. I mean, you look back on it and it's like, that's kind of awesome. It's kind oh. of like just, you know, it's just like another, you know, cool. There's never been anything like that. It, it was so unique in in the styles and the trends and everything else. So you know, I think maybe like in the 90s, you're kind of like, ew, what the hell was I thinking? But now that it's kind of come back around and it's cool and you know yeah my point i wanted to make with uh city pop 
was that how something that would have been considered wildly different at the time is now coalesced with other trends due to the sheer difference of what came after. Like, if you put City Pop next to, say, I don't know, a Janet Jackson song, you would think they are different. But put it next to, I don't know, Lit? That's even more. That's a whole world of difference. That's a whiplash like even. Yeah, like, like my, my own worst enemy. Lit. That too. <laughs> Didn't think we'd be referencing them on this show at any point, but I mean. I, I wanted guess, to uh... avoid the obvious <laughs> reference of like uh, Nirvana. Because, like, I don't think they were a universal representation of the sound. It wasn't as hard as them. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know, Nirvana definitely has this signature, like, kind of grungy sound or, you know, rock sound. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense mm-hmm. as, as you know, obvious as it may be or, you know, trying not to sound, you know, I know too cool I know. by referencing The them, issue but... is, is that once, like, Kurt Cobain died, like, a lot of bands did try to pick up the paces but it's not like everyone sounded as hard as them they went slow and melodic hence post grunge and a lot of pop mm-hmm. punk yeah andy what are your thoughts on uh on city pop well i uh i love city pop i actually wrote an article on it it was supposed to come out in volume six but it's getting pushed to volume seven but that's okay mm-hmm. Uh, the the way so it's got so much good stuff going into that magazine that we have to have to make some sacrifices like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, we had to cut off Matt from the podcast just today. We just couldn't afford him anymore. Got to trim the fat, right? <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> Damn straight. Yeah. Like, I mean, I miss Matt in a way, mostly yeah, because no. I can still see him if I wanted to. But yeah, you know the difference. Yeah, he's fine. Don't worry about him. Uh, yeah um indy what were you saying before we completely went (laughs) off on a tangent there yeah i think city pop is a great way to uh have get some samples going like the the instrumentation in city pop is was really next level and because it was kind of an undiscovered genre for a long time um you know it died in the late 80s and you know it lived on in the hearts of the you know, the, the diehard collectors, but it wasn't really until like, you know, maybe plastic love came out on YouTube and kept getting taken down and uploaded again and kept getting millions of views that people started remembering what city pop was or discovered it for the first time. And maybe they were, I don't know, getting tired of the current sound and the current trends in music and north america and some other countries but uh yeah the instrumentation is really next level like they had some really talented people pushing the envelope for you know performing and recording um so yeah it's great we have mac ross 8299 desired all these future funk artists for example that are really making great use of this um you know really wholesome and heartwarming music um, yeah, it's really such a different sound from from anything else that's out there, um, and it, it it immediately like evokes like you know a certain feeling you know inside of you when you kind of feel it, um, you know in in kind of researching this and, and looking into it before we recorded, you know I just did a quick search for city pop to see what comes up, um, and a YouTube uh, YouTube video um, which the first song on it is Plastic Love as you just mentioned, um, you know starts playing, and the first comment on it which I, I found was really interesting is it says these songs remind me of a trip to japan i never had i mean hmm. one thing i find interesting on my end of the view is that a lot of japanese people did it out of like not necessarily adoration but imitation of the united states mm-hmm. i sure i'm sure they like the country and don't mind it or anything don't get me wrong it's just I don't think it's really an opinion that they're taking as much as like a simulation that they're trying to give themselves because a lot of them have like Coca-Cola hamburgers and all that like weird things that um, are iconographic of the country or at least the area. And a lot of the sounds came directly off of like Yacht Rock, which was big there. Holy cow. (laughs) And uh, that sort of just, evolved into this in this smooth southern california sound that has largely been 
phased out, honestly. Mm. Yeah, I think what happened was there was a lot of cultural change in Japan uh, going on, and it all happened very quickly because the government started to sort of get more lenient on things, and mm -hmm. um, a lot of the young people started to maybe not rebel, but decide to live differently than all of the generations of people and their parents, grandparents that lived in Japan before them. And um, so the music was like uh, really, really powerful and kind of fit in with the journey that all these young people were taking, moving away from the countryside and coming to the big city to live the high, high life, you know, high fashion and whatever. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. One thing people got to realize about music as in books while we're at it, as opposed to TV shows, movies and video games and all that stuff. The reason why it's a lot more emblematic than other things is because it's comparatively easier to make. It's it's hard to make good just as much as anything else. Don't get me wrong. But like it's easier to put something out that can be technically considered music than it is to put something out that can be considered a full film or TV show. That like takes a long time. And so you have a lot of people getting this massive influx of music as opposed to TV shows and movies. And they're leaning around that and the TV shows and movies just got to bend around it. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, say, Easy Rider, that movie from, like, the 60s, was based around just, like, the early hard rock at the time rather than the other way around. Interesting. Interesting take. Yeah. Well, anyhow. Do <laughs> <laughs> um, we have anything else on City Pop that we wanted to uh, address? Wanted to get into? Yeah, just one final thing about it. I see a lot of songs that are basically a remix of City Pop. I find that just mm -hmm. kind of weird in a way because city pop was like this whole rock music. Once you heard it, it was one complete song, one thing, it's done. That's it. You may have had a 12-inch remix or something or like an instrumental. That's it. It's like if we like took Steely Dan and added a dance beat around it, which I'm sure somebody I, has done, but that's not anything that's ever gotten especially popular. I, I'm convinced that you can add Steely Dan to anything and it just makes it better whether it's music or just referencing Steely Dan, a situation is immediately better. I mean... Or funnier you, or whatever. You have a point. Like, when I had Steely Dan, the footage of uh, my house burning, it was hilarious. I laughed I mean, very, very <laughs> hard. <laughs> my introduction to Steely Dan was interesting. I used to buy tapes from Illuminated Paths, and... For some reason, he sent me a. Uh, it, it was a chrome tape, actually, so really high quality Ooh, cassette. But and it had uh, like a dub of some Steely Dan <laughs> on it. <laughs> I was like, uh -oh. okay, that's cool. I just, I just think I still have recently. <laughs> Can I have uh, Steely Dan subs if that's okay? Can you what? Have Steely Dan subs? You know, like subtitles. Ooh. Oh, so like when you, when um, what's his face Don uh, Fagelman's talking because you can't understand him. He's like, yeah, I'm top, like, like yeah, he's of, like that, but it's not it as bad as Yacht Rock made it out to be. But I'm just making an anime <laughs> joke. But it's a reason. There's a reason they they did that. Was yeah, because I know only talks. the truly smooth can understand, it, and I must be truly smooth then. <laughs> a, a coworker of mine uh, went to go actually saw Steely Dan in concert like about a year ago, and she's like. He sings like he's blind, but he's not, he's not blind. I don't know why he does that. It's like he's like channeling Ray Charles or something like that, but he's just that's just how he is. So um, He sings like yeah. he's blind. You know, after all those years of drug use, I'm going to be surprised if he is. Eh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Moving on, let's talk about something tangentially related. If City Tangentially Pop... related, related to Steely Dan? No, 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 no. Vaporwave. <laughs> Oh, okay. We'll 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 uh, record the Steely Dan cast after this. So, yeah, that's right. We got to go down to the basement studio with the rats. Yeah, Coco's boathouse is where it is. So, <laughs> wait, they don't have basements and boats. Boathouse, not oh boat oh house. oh right right right. Not houseboat boathouse. <laughs> I was about to say. Anyhow, <laughs> um, get us back on track. God damn it. Yes, vapor meme. 
I hear a lot of people deprecating it and disparaging it, and that's not out of nothing. Believe me, I've seen too many people treat Vaporwave as if this is just chopped and screwed. Add purple, pink, and cyan on something, white text, um, luxury motifs, and that's it. Dolphins and Fiji bottles. You bet. That's just extra nowadays, though. Okay. Like, even you... people who are naive about it don't really use Fijis and dolphins, especially not dolphins. I think it's what happens when you, like, try to make a dolphin swim in Fiji water. Like, pH of 8, are you serious? Yeah, that's the only thing that's wrong with, with that. Is yeah. the potential pH level of the, the Fiji water for dolphins. Exactly. Too. I mean, what the fuck? Am I drinking uh, hand soap or something? Make it 6 or 7. I'm not drinking battery acid, for fuck's sake. <laughs> so, can you give us, like, like just what what would you consider a vapor meme like what like what anything what grinds your gears about vapor meme in particular nothing especially in fact i was going to come here to defend it because i appreciate <laughs> the sense of levity it brings to the scene if it were just taking place in this neutral vibe or just deep introspective pieces the scene would come off hollow and it would be prone to being parodied from an outside source who would proceed to mock it and people would lose interest in it but if you have something that's comedic and something lackadaisical, well, not lackadaisical, that's not the word I meant. Something uh, chipper, I guess. I don't fucking know. And you have that in there. You have a full spectrum of the human life. Don't get me wrong. Life can be shitty more often than not. But if you have something like levity to balance it out, it becomes a bit more human and makes all the tension and all the neutrality that much more impactful, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's even like mainstream music. I mean, there's there are parodies of of existing songs and and like a comedy genre of music. Um, so I mean, there's no reason that can't exist in you know the vaporwave world. Yeah, you know, I mean, we can have you know you know the vaporwave Weird Al, which uh, would be interesting. <laughs> I wonder if Weird Al is going to make vaporwave as just like one of his songs as a style parody of uh, let me. Pull a name out of the hat. Um, Surfin. Surfing? Uh, yeah, that. You're putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable, I think, there. <laughs> well, that's how my uh, um, scribe wrote it into my uh, hat. Surfing, okay. Um, yeah, I think Weird Al uh, as Vaporwave would just kind of be like a slowdown accordion and um, some like chopped and, and slowed polka music probably i'm gonna have a heart attack like a negative heart attack <laughs> if he puts in like a flourish up one again like regardless of what you think of the song i love it but not i mean not the song the album i was thinking of um lisa frank 420 regardless of what you think of it like it's been overexposed i've seen too much of it like it can't just be one thing give somebody else a chance and let vectroid have a break mm-hmm Moral, I'm just thinking, like, what the Weird Al cover of Lisa Frank 420 would be. I don't know. Maybe he slows it down backwards. I don't. I I wouldn't know. Like, that's the thing about Weird Al. He's somewhat unpredictable, except when he does songs about food. We could be giving birth to like a whole new genre here. It could be like Al Wave or something like that, where yeah. it's just vaporwave in, consisting entirely of samples from Weird Al songs. I, I just don't know. Like. The thing about Weird Al is that his persona, beyond just like parroting songs, is like he's a weird schlub who takes disordinate amount of interest in like the most mundane things, like suede carpets, um, <laughs> weasels, and uh, drive-throughs. Trapped in the drive-through. Yep, that's right. <laughs> and uh, I, he just takes it into something that would be like real devotion and real soul that other musicians give it and that's part of the joke i'm but, stepping away from like the vapor me side of it i mean from from what i've heard he's apparently one of like the nicest guys you can possibly meet and oh, he's yeah, like yeah. super genuine he rem like he'll like legit like remember like an interaction you have with him and like if you happen to meet him again like remember you um and he asked for permission to sample or or, or not sample but like you know parody like every song he does that's why he's never done a print song uh, is because he never got permission from Prince to parody one of his songs. Well, um, he came pretty close with um. Yeah, yeah. One of them, but I don't remember what it's called. And it was like a buried in the albums. 
Yeah, I know. Yeah, Weird Al is pretty cool. I like him. Yeah, and fun fun fact before we get back to our vape memes stuff, the first concert I ever went to uh, was a Weird Al concert. Dude, same here. That's the next thing I was going to say. <laughs> hey, that's much better than me going to a Pie Tasters concert. Scott, I don't man. know what that is. <laughs> Scott, man. Oh, nice. They're that's good. Awesome. They're good. They're good. I just had a bad time there. Okay. I don't mean like anything horrible happened. It's just like the opening act sucked. Okay. Was it your? Band? Well, anyhow, you did have a bad experience with like, with like a trumpet or something. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> okay, okay. Sorry, I, I, I we mentioned we weren't going to bring that up. So thank you, um, thank you. But anyhow, but, uh, but I mean, like obviously, parody and and you know, uh, lightness and and some kind of um, levity, uh, you know, levity. Yeah, like that that should exist in like a genre, and I think there, like you said, there is a place for that there. Um, and, and making fun of you know yourself and keeping it somewhat light in some ways. Otherwise, if everything's just dark and and dreary and you know it, it's boring, and no it bounces back to comedy sometimes. Like there are songs about actual serious topics by like Lincoln Park and Corn that I can understand and like have empathy for the singers and relate to it and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. But when I just hear those specific songs rather than them them talk about it in an interview or anything else. I just laugh my head off. You know, crawling. Yes, crawling. Crawling. Yeah. Yeah, my skin. It's uh, it's mall metal. You know, it's like Love edgy, it. but you know, it, it's it's stuff that you should listen to in a hot topic, basically. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> and but what I was going to get at was um, comedy in general, like all comedic media, doesn't really t- seem to be taken seriously as like an art. Like a lot of people think, oh, because it's subjective, that doesn't mean you can. You, that means you can just forfeit it and not actually try or like try to prove a point. And there's no point in greater meaning within it. But I think that's not the case. There is greater meaning within comedy and all art, even if it's not imbued there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like if people put more effort in the vapor meme and stuff, like it will become part of vapor again, I guess. And it will become among, and people will be stigmatized from just making cheap, chopped and screwed stuff. And it will be a bit more common to see Vapor Meme as just a part of Vaporwave rather than a part from it, rather than some scourge, you know? I think that's what like should, some... be happen, should happen with, like, all, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Truant, miscreant, or, like, um, rogue genres that are becoming more meme than actual music. The, the community should embrace it and and accept it for what it is um, because it is a part of it rather than kind of ostracize it and push it away saying, well, you don't get what Vaporwave is and you don't, you know, that's, you're just stupid and go away. Well, like it's, it can be a part of it. It can be a constructive yeah, yeah. part of it. It, it can contribute to the overall. more like assimilation or like a gateway drug. <laughs> okay. I know, I know like, what gateway drug means in the in the in the US Department of Narcotics. But I know I'm referring to like just get involved. Like this is your first step. Boom. Vapor meme. Classic vapor and so on and so forth. Right there from uh, Dr. Uriel right there. The way that's, to get into the uh, the vapor drug. That's right. Cool. Alrighty. What else we got? Let's check our agenda. The erasement of the early internet. I, I, I know the word is erasure, but I thought erasement would be funnier, and I am right. <laughs> uh <laughs> so Indy, you've read an article about how the internet is fading, at least the early days of it. Speaking. Yeah, it's just something I've been obsessed with for a long time. Um, I have a crazy backup system. It's like 35 terabyte self backup with two uh, redundancy, two drive redundancy. Thank, thank goodness, because, you know, Private Suite almost lost everything because of Indy's due diligence and his backup capabilities. Saved, saved the virtual plaza from erasure from the Internet, if you will restored it and backing it up now so we're all set um yeah it's just like a lot of the stuff we're making online ever since the birth of the internet 
exists on hard drives that you know aren't really like we were talking about before like what we're doing isn't really tangible it's all just binary and ever since i think it was 1991 that the first website was created and we have no we don't know uh, actually we there was a copy made of it but it's not the original and we've lost most of the websites that were um that went live from 1991 to 1996, I think, because that's when archive.org got started. There's this computer scientist that had the idea and started copying their websites uh, without their permission. And, you know, we were missing a lot. Like AOL just had a huge um, hard drive failure or something like that, and they lost 13 million uh files of music or I don't know what it was but they lost a lot of stuff a lot of people are probably thinking like who the hell uses AOL now but AOL actually still has a surprisingly large user base Um, and I think a lot of people started on AOL at some point at least if you kind of grew up in the 90s um, you know that a big part of your digital life at one point you know ran through AOL yeah, for sure. And a lot of music was uploaded to the AOL music sites, like a, a crap ton. And they, they closed down all the sites and didn't give anyone notice. And it's it's gone, I guess. I don't know. And MySpace yeah. lost all of their music too yep. recently. but uh, They got it back though, right? Y- yeah, someone managed to, to get it back somehow. And I grabbed it and I got it on my backup system. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a really interesting topic because it's almost like modern day archaeology going back and looking and seeing what the Internet looked like, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, um, because it's just so different. You know, it, it's it's so it, it, it's grown so much. I think like the quintessential quintessential example of like an old going back and looking at like an old Web page and seeing what it looked like was the Space Jam uh, website. <laughs> which is still up. It's still up from right now. And it looks like it's straight out of 1996 because it was from 1996 and it has not been updated since 1996. And it uses 1996 web standards. This is amazing. Yeah. I, I've not seen it. I'm looking at You've it You've never seen it? Space Jam? Oh, no. The movie sucked. But, no, uh, the, the, mo- the movie's amazing. No, I'm looking no, at no, the no, website. no, no. Do not dare speak ill of Space Jam. <laughs> yeah. Okay, then. I, I went to go see Space Jam in theaters last year because it came back for the 20th anniversary nice. two years ago, whatever. And it was actually really funny because we went to the theater and it wasn't marked anywhere, but they were showing it. And like we're by the door where there's no poster up and like another guy comes up and he's kind of like looking around. He's like, what movie are you here to see? And I'm like, Space Jam. Yeah. He's like, all right, cool. Yeah, let's go. And they're like, like you don't want to admit that we're like, you know, in your mid 20s going to see Space Jam in the theater. But you know. I mean... How it was well worth it. I mean, you were like younger at the time, so I guess it's okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, I was like a little kid when it came out. I remember going, I remember going to the theater to go see it with like one of my friends and then going to see it in theaters, you know, again, as an adult, you know, reminiscing on it. It was actually kind of cool because like people my age were bringing their kids to go see it in theaters, kind of like replicating that experience. Um, but um, yeah, don't you ever speak ill about Michael Jordan and the Toon Squad, and Bill Murray, <laughs> and Newman ever again. Newman, Newman? and Lola Bunny, Newman. and Lola Bunny. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, Can't anyhow, for... how many people were in the theater? Just a quick question before we get back onto the topic. <laughs> there was like thirty people or so. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I That's think it was not it was... too much, but it's. A huge amount, I guess. I mean, I can't imagine the number of people wanted to go see Space Jam in a theater in 2016 or 2017, whatever it was. Um, is super high. Um, I mean, but those people are all, all pure Space geniuses for wanting to go do it. Like, I know it's already out on DVD, but we had all the Space Jam memes, and it's kind of funny to see it with, like, other people. It's a communicative experience. If, like, oh, there's a huge community. Huge community, because you have, like, the whole Come On and Slam community that literally exists to mash up uh quad city djs come on and slam with literally any other song that has ever existed oh man i just heard beethoven fifth slam <laughs> go look it up on reddit r come on and slam 
uh, and it's it's some interesting stuff on there. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, no, that um, movie but was back on the topic to the erasement of the internet before again we got off on another crazy tangent. Um. Yeah, I mean it, it's you know little things from like you know that you, you know, I think we all remember going on the internet like as you know a little kid at some point you know we kind of I think we all grew up in a time where it was commonplace and and you know it was still evolving. Um, you know, to see little snippets of that from like when you were a kid, it's it's interesting to to see how it's evolved. I yeah, or not y- not only as a kid, as an old man too. Well, yeah, too. But, <laughs> but. I mean, a lot of it is remembered for me because I'm a relatively young person and I haven't used internet for particularly long. Mm-hmm. Like I'm savvy enough about it, but like most of my memories on the internet are in like one of two places: Newgrounds or YouTube. And if I go to like almost anywhere else, I'm like out of the loop. I feel like See, I lost things. It's it's interesting because like YouTube came along, came about like so far down the road from like my internet experience. Like I remember like f- the first time like logging onto the internet on AOL, dialing in on like a 28k modem. We didn't even have a 56k modem <sighs> at the time because that was yeah. Um, and like you have like the chat rooms and you know you know you got mail and everything, you know, all the, the typical AOL sounds and, and, you know, it's like, you want to go shopping. There's a little shopping cart icon on AOL. Like this is shopping. Like this is where you shop on the internet. And, you know, it, it, everything about that experience is just so quintessentially like, you know, early nineties and, and just, you know, early technology. And to see it go from that to, you know, <laughs> we're literally recording a podcast, you know, in three different parts of North America right now, you know, to, you know, at the same time over the internet is kind of crazy. Um, and to be able to go back and pick those things apart is just really cool. There's this really oh, cool yeah. website called the Million Dollar Homepage that some guys yeah. started, yeah. Uh, I don't know, 2005 maybe. And the idea... At least, it might be older than that. <laughs> the idea was that he would sell ad space by the pixel and if mm-hmm. you check the website out now, it's a great representation of the, you know, the f- ideals that people had back in the day when they were using the internet, like the philosophy. It's, just, it's pretty funny. Yeah, I remember when that happened because I, there it was all sorts of like copycats and people think like, oh, I'm going to make a million dollars also too. But like no one wanted to do that because it wasn't, you know. They want it to be on the million. It's literally milliondollarhomepage.com. It's still up. Uh, it is not secured by HTTPS or anything like that. Um, there's like an old Yahoo logo on there. Knockoff Google logos. Goldenpalace.com casino. This is crazy. Yeah. Do they still have stuff like Enron on there? Uh, I see Thomas the Tank Engine. Um, uh, eBay, old eBay logo. Cheap cruises. Oh, big just kick creation. This is just spam cruise. Yeah, that'll do. I mean, it's weird. It's like this is like a a snapshot of of like the the early two thousands on here. Oh, and yeah. unfortunately, it looks like it's sold out. He's not updating it anymore. Uh, oh well, too bad. Yeah, too bad. I mean, we better rethink our private suite advertising uh, <laughs> plan because mm-hmm. I think we had all our our money in this at one point. So. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a really cool, you know, snippet of the internet. And, and honestly, I completely forgot about that. I remember when this happened, it was huge. Um, and I completely forgot about this. Mm-hmm. So like for something like that to go missing and just to forget about it, it's kind of like, it would be kind of like a tragedy. Tragedy. Kind of forget about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like it would be almost like erasing it from history. Mm-hmm. Like imagine I mean, it is. that's the whole thing. You wake up one day and all signs of your legacy <laughs> what we're talking about. are just gone. From existence, as if somebody snapped their fingers and killed you. Yeah, and it's not like they're trying to like compare this to like major discoveries in history, like you know, discovering like you know the the tombs in ancient Egypt and and other stuff like that. But I mean, this is essentially modern history. This is this this was a big part of the evolution of the internet and how people kind of interacted with a digital landscape. Um, so it is important to kind of, you know, document it and make sure that it still exists. And it, uh, compared to stuff, you know, like a mummy or, or, or some other kind of artifact where it kind of exists in a museum, this is something that you can still, like, anyone can go interact with it. Anyone can go to milliondollarhomepage.com 
and view this and see it and click on it and and and, and just experience it essentially how it was uh you know right when it create was created so it's it's a uh, it's an interesting way to interact with modern history mm-hmm. oh, yeah, i'm a big fan of uh, Wayback machine also mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. go check out what, what websites looked like 10 20 years ago um but yeah i don't know it's just like the whole thing everything's on a hard drive it's kind of just kind of scares me <laughs> i agree but like you have to remember one final thing like even real like physical media quote-unquote will erode and rot and get bugs and viruses and become unusable. The trick to keeping something remembered is to have more and more bases. So if one thing fails, another thing works. Also, the trick is to not store it on VHS or Laserdisc. Yeah, we'd all know uh, five and a quarter floppy is the uh, preferred storage medium. And uh, Colorado backup tapes, that's another good one too. I use Betamax, it's a superior format. It'll come back like vinyl. Uh, yeah. It will. Technology is cyclical. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I got my uh, got my beeper here ready to go. Got a Walkman strapped to my left leg. <laughs> you know, I mean, in relation to vaporwave, I mean, for a, a genre that kind of beckons so much on nostalgia and remembering this stuff, I mean, it's just really cool to kind of be able to go and 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 see this in in reality. I mean, um, yeah, yeah, for Ooh. sure. Like, well, this. For the big thing is too, archive.org can't back everything up. Getting back to the topic. No. So we no, I, we're losing things by the day, sort of. Yeah, I think a lot of people you know, people tend to have like a misconception about like what the cloud is and they think it's just like it just exists somewhere. But I mean, really, your data that's in the cloud is is on a hard drive somewhere. It may be multiple hard drives, it may be redundant, whatever, but it, it, it is stored physically somewhere. And if those were to kind of disappear break or become unfunctional not functional it's gone you know and 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 this stuff can all just disappear um, exactly very easily yeah like well i don't think the hard drives are going to die because they probably pay tons of people to replace them like by the second because there's so many theoretically speaking i mean you know but if there's ever like it's not like it's just magically existing somewhere It, it is it is physically stored somewhere yeah but if there's ever like a huge economic problem and YouTube's like, all right, we're shutting down, no more videos. Could you imagine? Yeah, I mean, like the mad rush, like kind of like back that stuff up because, you know, I do, man. Obviously, you know, YouTube creators like, you know, have backups and stuff uh, of, of other stuff. But like, you know, how many people, you know, take a cell phone video and upload it? and then forget about it or wipe their phone and don't have it. You know, like tons of, of mm-hmm. you know, millions and millions of hours of video would just be lost and just gone. Regardless, whatever the content is or the quality of it is, I mean, most of it's crap for the most part, you know, that I think everybody's watching it. But I mean, the fact there. is it's, it's something. It is technically a piece of history and it could just be gone one day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that's a good time to close out. Anything we got to say? I got one more thing quick. All right. Um, I used to play Second Life. Not really like most people. <laughs> Don't judge me. I was more <laughs> for a class I was taking in university. It was called, um, I forget what it was called, like Transmedia or something like that. And it's basically how media exists <clears throat> in different forms. And it's, it can be written, it can be a movie, it can be on a lunchbox, like whatever. And some of the class was in Second Life, so we would go into Second Life and be in a class with all the students, and there's a teacher walking around, like, all right. And they would take us to these digital uh, art museums, sort of like in in Australia, there's this university, and that university exists only in Second Life. It's pretty crazy. And some of the courses are, like, design these... 3d interactive experiences that you can go into and you know participate with with your avatar and they're things that you could never do in real life just based on the physics um and some other things and i wonder um, second life vr is going to be crazy but yeah sure um you know some of that art that's made in that second life universe is when Second Life dies, which it, it kind of is, it's going down in popularity. Not that anybody cares. Um, that's going to get lost, too. Yeah, I mean, they have 
I mean, they have a very, at this point, have a very devoted community that obviously is like super into it and, and wants to keep it going. But I mean, it does cost, I'm sure, a ton of money to actually keep the Second Life servers going. And like you said, as soon as they decide, like, it's just they don't want it to exist anymore. They don't want to pay for it anymore. That whole world is just gone. All yeah. that work that people have done, you know, the the the, the degrees from this university are, are pointless because, like, you know, they don't this, the university doesn't exist anymore. And the work that you did doesn't exist anymore because the servers don't exist. Yeah, it's not um, like you can so really interesting back it up. Like interesting concept with Minecraft, you can at least export your levels and host them yourself and stuff but not yeah you know. i mean you can always it's a standalone piece of software you don't need the internet to run it you can have it exist on you know as long as you have a computer that supports java you can basically live in a minecraft world or keep it going for as long as you want you know for something that lives on the internet it's as it's as permanent as you know the people people paying for the servers basically Mm -hmm. and here's another thing actually sorry this topic's going on so long but if you think about drm um, Mm -hmm. i think it's digital Digital rights rights management management. yeah Yeah. um which basically means you don't fully own what you're paying for so steam games you know you don't if like i have Mm -hmm. thousands of steam games but i don't own any of them played like three of them too right Maybe like twenty five. <laughs> no, I play. I used to be crazy. Like, yeah, but I mean, like crazy. remember, like iTunes and and stuff. You know, in the early days when you download the songs and it's you know you can only play them on an iPod. You can only play them in iTunes. You know, you had to have you know that equipment and that software to do it. Yeah, you know, do you really own it? You know, now you can go and you can strip the DRM. They'll give you the non DRM stuff for it. Um, uh, but. Yeah, I mean, there's there's tons of media that exists that really you don't own because if that software stops working or they don't support it anymore, then you can't use it. Yeah, I'm totally yeah. not a pirate at all. Yar. <laughs> Yar. Yar. Okay, new topic. Well, it's time to get it's time to go, I guess. We bid you farewell, and I hope you backed up everything. Don't we have one topic we have, left? We have one more topic. Wait, we, have, wait, we have one more topic. Are you serious? But I do. Yeah, I, I did back places, everything right? Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I thought so, we were like, well, whatever. Let's go. Yeah. So, uh, I read a really interesting question from someone on Twitter recently. It was like six days ago, from Fantasy Deluxe, and it's such. It's been burning in my mind. I actually talked about it on one of my upcoming podcasts that you'll be treated with if you check those, or rather the interviews. If you check the interviews out, we have an interview coming up. Um, They talk about this question too. And it's nostalgia for false places is what we're calling it. So Fantasy Deluxe basically says, uh, let me pull it up here. Do you ever get really nostalgic about places that aren't real? like video games, video game locations and video games. Sometimes he'll randomly reminisce about a street corner he was on in GTA or some other game or somewhere in a Skyrim map or something. And that happens to me all the time with (laughs) Banjo-Kazooie. Like, all the time, man. It's crazy. I mean, we spend... I mean, if if you're someone who plays video games... um, you, know, you spend so much time interacting with these places and, and existing in these places, you know, you know, days or, or weeks even um, living in these virtual worlds that I, I could completely see someone missing that, um, you know, maybe seeing a, a screenshot of it, you know, 10 years later and thinking, oh, man, I remember, you know, going through there for, you know, you know, when I was playing this game back, you know, when it first came out, I spent so many hours there. Um like the first thing that comes to mind when you you say something like this is um, Super Mario sixty four, and kind of that like yeah. opening scene when it's kind of like you know flying around the castle and everything, and it comes down in front of Mario. I can um, hear it now. Right, I mean it's 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 such an iconic scene, and it's something super special about it. It's a pretty basic intro, but that was kind of like everyone's first intro into like sixty four bit graphics, and you're like, whoa, this looks so much better than anything they've ever done before and it's just so detailed and it's just so you know quote unquote realistic and it's so different that you're just there's a sense of like 
awe when you see it. So I can I can totally see getting nostalgic for um, something like that. You know what's crazy? PlayStation came out like two or three years before Nintendo 64. Yeah, but that was like peasant 32-bit. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I got a not knocking <laughs> Sega Saturn. Like it went nah, I'm, Super nah, Nintendo. Fucking, I'm kidding. I only got an N64. <laughs> like the real gamers. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it, it, it doesn't. I mean, that's just one example. But I mean, you know, even you know, like the original Mario, Super Mario. Um, you know, the, the the scrolling 2D one. I mean, you know, imagine how many hours you spent. You know, just going through that, you know, especially because you couldn't save the game. I mean, you're stuck playing the whole thing over and over, you know, to completion if you really wanted to beat it. Um, you could save in Super Mario. You're, oh, yeah. Never mind. You're, the first you're one? You're talking about Mario Brothers. Not, yeah. Mario Brothers. Yeah. No, no. 64. Yeah. Obviously, you, you could do and that. And Super Mario World. Um, it was Super because Super Nintendo, right? No, NES. Like Famicom. OG Famicom. Yes. I think that was called Japanese Mario listeners. Brothers, not yeah. Super Mario. Whatever. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but I mean, I, false places, I mean, that that definitely makes sense. Even going back to like what we were talking about with the City Pop earlier in the episode, and I, I read that comment from uh, from YouTube, um, you know, where he's like, this reminds me of like the trip to Japan I never had. It's like, maybe it's not a false place that like you have this idea in your head of like what Japan is, but you've never been there. You've never, you know, felt it yet it's you somehow feel like you miss it even though you've never been there oh yeah i agree with that i mean there's some places that i have been to that i get my image of further colored by experience of seeing within like media um for instance i lived near washington dc for like most of my life i'm in portland right now uh one place i remember seeing in dc all the time is georgetown and i've been there frequently but when I see it on, like, the TV, I think it's a lot more weird than it actually is. Like, I think there's a bunch of spies there. I think it's all decrepit. <laughs> it's not. It's quite the opposite. And I think it's, like, the majority of D.C. goes there. That's not true. Most people go to the mall. But the thing is, is that I know it, like, the back of my hand. I know everything about it. But when I see it, I have, like, a whole new perspective on it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I remember watching this shitty rap video of this shitty rap artist for, like, my hometown. And he made it seem like I lived in, like, the most dangerous place in Maryland. I didn't. I did not. I came from a pretty nice place. But the thing is, is that when I watched it, like, I knew that he was kidding. But people who haven't been there in a while, they would know they're, um, uh... They wouldn't know that he's wrong. They wouldn't know he'd be like pulling their leg. Mm. Sounds like so he had a keen aesthetic eye. You could say that. Oh my god, I was wrong. It is Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> ah. what? This whole time, my whole life, I thought Super Mario was because Super Nintendo. Oh my! You god. got Baron Stain. Your whole life is just a lie. Everything's crumbling upon me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, guys, do we have anything else before we wrap it up here? Uh, nah. That's it for me. Cool. So you guys know where to check us out. If you want to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Private Suite Pod. For uh, the magazine, it's at Private Suite Mag. Facebook.com slash Private Suite Mag. Uh, Instagram.com slash Private Suite Mag. And, of course, Patreon.com slash Private Suite Mag. If you have a question for us or a suggestion for a topic on a future episode, give us a call on the Private Suite hotline at 412-44-VAPOR. That is 412-44-VAPOR. We'll listen to your voicemail, and we may even feature it on another episode. If you like this show, if you like what you're hearing, please go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. Definitely helps us with our visibility and uh, getting us out to a much more broader audience and spreading the good word of Vaporwave here. So... Uh, guys, if you don't have anything else, I think that's going to be it. Until next time, take it easy. Peace. Peace. Later.